Welcome to the Nitty Gritty. This was a really fun episode. We had Isaac Asiata. I had to correct it for him once starting the podcast as well. He's a, uh, I think most people around here know who he is. He played star offensive lineman at University of Utah, was drafted by the Dolphins in 2017, played in the NFL for a couple years. And at the ripe old age of, what, 26, 27, just decided that the NFL wasn't for him anymore. After like being in like the best shape right. of his life, like getting ready to go, yep. just wasn't feeling it. Just wasn't feeling it and decided to uh, retire and wanted to keep his health, figured out he wasn't passionate about it anymore, moved back to Utah. And after a year working in the, I don't know, do we call it the real world? <laughs> just decided I want to be a police officer. And he's been with the Provo Police Department for eight months. So it's just, it was such a cool story. Like, kind of focus on the NFL in the, in the beginning and in, in his whole athletic career, which is such a cool story from, and then retiring at, I mean, such a young age. I mean, yeah. he probably had another five to eight years in the NFL if he wanted oh, him. But sure. I think it's really a timely episode with, you know, our episode last week, now getting kind of the law enforcement perspective. Well, and from him too, right? Right, right. So, you know. Samoan. I always think he's Tongan. I mean, he said you were half Samoan, so I'm assuming yeah. that, that means... I'm pretty sure he's Samoan. But anyways, I mean, someone who's experienced, you know, racism and being, you know, discriminated against, but yet still choosing, you know, to be a cop and hearing him talk about the reasons why he's doing it, he played himself down, but that's a special dude. Like he has the opportunity to do so much good and you can tell his heart's in the right place. I mean, he talked about never loving anything more. Right. So, and that says a lot. That's a hard job to, to love, but he, you know, he's service oriented, man, he can empathize and walk in just about anybody's shoes. Yeah. Right. From rich to poor, black to white. Like it's, he's just, he's been there. And that's what it all talked about again, was just like having conversations, you know, like, he talked about as an NFL player, he had conversations to learn about kneeling. You know, kneeling. Yep. And as a cop, he's having conversations when he shows up to help people understand what's going on. And right. it's just so important to be able to do that. Well, and it's important for us to make sure we are humanizing our police officers. I think right now they are going through a, a you know, identity crisis. Like people are tearing them apart. So to hear his stories about not just him, but you know the men and women that he works with, yeah, and kind of what they go through, it's important for us to to remember how tough it is to be, you know, a law enforcement officer, yeah. especially right now. And so this is a fun episode, though. It is. It was. It 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 went pretty long. Like it moved, and <laughs> but it's because the conversation was so interesting. He has so many great stories. We're getting so good He's at talking. Very, it, it, we are. <laughs> But he is a special dude. I mean, if you haven't seen Isaac, he's six four. You know, he says he's at a svelte two eighty right now, which have, for him felt, is light. I haven't felt small since the Kafusis were here. <laughs> yeah. You know, but if you look at our picture on Instagram, you'll see that. Yeah, not very many times do we look little next to it, our guests. It's very true. I mean, this guy's tatted up. He's got his cop mustache growing in nicely. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, what? God, I think this is the exact type of person we want and law enforcement, right? Correct. Like really bridge some gaps and, Correct. and can really relate to people. And, and it was cool to hear how he likes to, 
you know, what are his, what his priorities are when he is in those situations and pulling people over and, and he just wants them to have a positive interaction with law enforcement. So check it out. Yeah. I think you guys will really enjoy it. All right. We're back at it again. Nitty gritty with Isaac Asiata. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Close enough. Close enough. For someone like it works, bro. I mean, I've heard like Asiago and yeah, man. So how how is it supposed to be said? Asiata. Okay, there you go. So Isaac, U of U football star, NFL star, turned policeman. So I think this is going to be a really cool episode. Kind of get a different perspective on. I mean, going from the NFL to Provo, Utah. Yeah. As a police officer. Oh, you're skipping something. You're skipping Weave. I'm skipping right? Weave. His other job. Yeah, he, I did. A, I did an interview. Part, they got him. Yeah, he retired the NFL. Anyways, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah. So Isaac, um, where'd you grow up? Like, where'd you play high school ball? Like, where are you from? Yeah. So I mean, I grew up all around the state, man. So I was born in San Francisco, and my mom moved us out here when I was after I was born because she didn't want us to grow up in gang life, and that's all it was out in San Francisco. That's a lot of our family out there. So she moved us out here. We moved around the state, but I we settled down in Spanish Fork. So I grew up there, went to high school there. Um, so I met my wife, um, then went to play ball at the U. So, okay, dang. So we're in San Francisco, like San Francisco proper, or like the Bay, like out there. We used to live down the street from Cal Palace. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, that's what I was talking about Richmond earlier. So yeah, right across the so, right across so the out there, the Bay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's some gnarly spots out there. You yeah. don't, you don't really. It's weird because you can drive and you're like, oh, I'm in the hood, and then like, like you go two lights and you're like oh this is a really nice area I right. can, you know yeah it's wild so then that so football brought you to utah then no i mean i was young so i was like it was like a month after i was born we moved out here oh, okay so i grew up here i played ball here okay. um and then i just stayed here because i wanted my mom to be able to watch me i was gonna like the other offer big offer was u dub out in washington but my mom couldn't afford to fly come see games and yeah so um, but I always wanted to play at Utah just okay. because my cousins played there. Kind of funny. Two weeks in a row, we're in like BYU country with Cam and we bring Tim and Isaac. All these Utah athletes. <laughs> yeah. We're bringing all yeah. these Utes into Cougar country. Where'd you play high school ball? Spanish Fork. Oh, you, yeah. okay. I didn't know I'm a Don. Yeah, man. Wow. Till so. I die. <laughs> Till I die. <laughs> and then um, when did like, did you always want to be in the nfl was that always kind of a goal of yours yeah, like playing so, football so football i mean i i started playing football because remember the titans came out when i was young and dude that movie just i was like man so dramatic like anytime i played ball when i was a little kid like i remember i, I got a fumble recovery remember that part where pd gets the ball and he like comes out like i remember i got a fumble because the guy i was i think i was like eight <laughs> He, he fought, so I get the ball and I get up all slow. All slow. And they're like, up, okay. The, the ref's like, give me the ball. I'm like, ah, <laughs> like so dramatic as a little kid, you know. But I, I loved, I always loved football. And then, then I, I started getting re- pretty good at it. And I mean, I knew young that if we wanted to go to college, we had to get scholarships. My mom couldn't pay it. She was a single parent. And um, so when I got to high school, that's kind of what I was like, hey, I could do this at the next level. I had great coaches that took care of me that helped me in my recruitment. And then uh, offers started to come in. My first offer was actually from BYU. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And then Utah offered me. Then I started getting all the Pac-12 schools started coming in. And um, then I commuted and went to Utah. Okay. 
were you were you always a bigger dude growing up? Yeah, I was. I mean, even in high school, and it's funny, I joke with all my coaches and former teammates from high school because I was so much bigger than everybody else that I did not need to work out. I didn't need to do anything. <laughs> and it was such a punk attitude to have back then. And um, good, luckily, I had coaches that kept me grounded and humbled and, and made me continue to work. But man, it was just, I just had it really easy just because I was so much bigger than everybody else. Until you get into college. Yeah, then I got to college, and that was like a, a big, big reality check, and yep. that was that was bad. So was that when you started to have to put in like extra time and work? Yeah, so my my freshman year was super humbling. The guys on the team, they knew, because I was a, a bigger name recruit, and as soon as I came in, man, like I was uh, – I remember I did an interview where I said that they needed – like a guard like me on the offensive line and it just rubbed everybody the wrong way it was so bad like thinking back at it, it just makes me want to punch myself in the face you know what i mean and you're just a punk like you think you're so good and i i was an all-state player all regional everything blah 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 and i really thought i was something and then i got there and the game had evolved everything was so much faster man i'd get out of my stance and the play's over like i'm like what am i what am i doing you know what i mean and but luckily i had great teammates who helped me um humble myself, but then work. Like I, I developed a good work ethic at the university of Utah okay. through our, our staff and my coaches. And, and de- that's just kind of the mentality that if you don't have that, you might as well leave. For sure. It's always interesting to hear that jump from high school to college is just kind of that yeah. deer in the headlights look that they oh, all have yeah. that first like spring practice. Just like I, I'm, I'm not very good anymore. My like, first Trevor Riley, my first practice, I pulled around the edge and I don't even know who I'm having. All I know is I'm supposed to pull. So I pull around, I'm looking for somebody and then I just see, boom. <laughs> like I just, I see somebody out of the corner of my eye, I got hit. And the next thing I, I know, like the next thing I remember was I was in the training room. I had a concussion and I was wow. really, yeah. And it was just, I wanted to quit my freshman year because I was like, this sucks. I'll bet that's pretty common. Oh I'll yeah. Bet there's a lot of dudes like, just like you said, even the big recruits. I'll bet mainly the big recruits. I'll bet because they come in with the biggest head, right? Yep. And then the, the older guys know that they do, and so they probably, yeah. you know, they turn it up a little bit on them just to knock them down a few notches. But then you, I know it's the same with the NFL. Oh, yeah. That's like, an even bigger You go job. from being a star college athlete, and to stand out and to D1 anything is a big deal. But then you go to a league where everybody stood out and, you know. Oh, it's a whole different animal. And it's, I remember the first time getting close to practice in New Orleans and seeing, it, it was crazy. Because I'm, I'm at BYU practice all the time. And I mean, it looks super fast, obviously. But the first time I saw an NFL practice, like close, it it's not even in the same no, it's not the same one. Like the thing that, that people don't realize about the NFL, especially going into it, and I didn't realize it myself, but every guy on the roster is fighting to keep their job. So they do everything that they need to do. Where in, where in college, you kind of just do your own thing and you you just, you know, for the most part, guys just do enough to get by. And then if they're really good and they're blessed, you know, then right. they can get by like that. But in the league, you'll get exposed. Like there's guys, they watch endless hours of film. They're in the room. They're in uh, the training room doing recovery stuff. They're recovering on their own time. There's, it's, there's so much stuff that they do just to catch a tiny advantage on somebody else. And then it shows in the way that they play. That's how the good ones are great. So well, and it's week to week. Like yeah, every- people don't realize for every Drew Brees, there's 50 guys that are just hoping that next week they're still there. Yep. Like there's no guaranteed money, 
They're, like it is. Well, and it's your livelihood. Like in college, like you're on scholarship. It's hard to get kicked off the scholarship. Yep. You know, like once you're playing, <laughs> you know, and so. It but is it, hard. in the NFL, it's like. It's really easy always to somebody not be else. there the next week. That's that's what's hard is like there's somebody who's always willing to come in and then take your job. Like you can't it's constant stress, constant pressure. Now those those two things are good in a healthy amount, but then when you're that dude who's like the fringe player where like I don't know if I'm going to get fired or if I'm going to play this week. Like that's kind of where the realm I lived the last like year and a yeah, half is crazy. Me. Yeah. That just that distinction between fired and suiting up, right? Yep. Like Oh, I don't know how they do it. I'd lose my mind. So I mean, it, like rookie contract. I mean, Taysom signing. Finally, I wonder what that felt dude, like. Dude, I'm so happy for him. Dude, I am too. He's worked he so hard. It. He does whatever it takes. But I wonder what that – I'd love to – I haven't seen him for a few weeks, but I just want to say – I just want to ask him, like, what a – signing that piece of paper and just knowing for the next three years, yeah. you're good. Yeah. Like, oh, that had to be which the is crazy because your rookie off. contract you're like unless you're a first rounder you you sign a four-year deal but that's not four years oh no Their dudes get fired before they before training camp is over so totally. it's like okay well here's your cool signing bonus and then now you're <laughs> trying to find another team where they don't even give you a signing bonus and so wow so what so what was your story with nfl how did that yeah so oh man draft yeah so the thing is, is I was really burnt out on football my senior year. Um, my junior year, it was, so, it was such a great time. And then going into my senior, my junior year was great. My senior year, I was just super burnt out. And I knew I was. How come? I, I just wouldn't want to play anymore. Like, okay. it was it was awesome. It was fun. Um, but the reason I stayed is because of my coaches and the players. Like, I loved being in the locker room. I loved being around the dudes. And um that camaraderie is is great to help keep pushing you. But my body was kind of spent at the time. Uh, my knee was bad. I had a bad knee, and I don't know, man. Like football had been had consumed so much of my life that once I started, my wife, who's my high school sweetheart, we were kind of taking a break. But then things started to get serious with us. And in in college, especially when you play from a young age all the way up to college there's a curtain that is always there of like, there's nothing else, just this, just football every day, eat, sleep, breathe this stuff. And then when I had my, my uh, wife who then fiance, then we got married. Um, that was kind of my first glimpse of like that Kurt behind the curtain of it was like another life. Yeah, man. And it, because it becomes your life. That's all you do for four or five years is, is ball. You know, you go to the facility, come home, go to the facility, come home, go to class, come home. That's it. But my wife, she, it was a, such a, new breath of fresh air with her. Like I was like, Oh, there is something outside of this. You know, there's another life. There's a whole nother adventure, so to speak, you know, and I was just so burnt out. I just didn't really want to play. But at the same time, after I got married, I didn't know what to do to provide for her. Like I was, my last job was at a movie theater. So unless somebody wanted to hire me to do a movie theater and clean popcorn, I didn't know what else I would do, you know? Um, so I knew that I, if I didn't pursue it, I'd regret it. Um, but I also was afraid of how I would, provide for her so um at the end of my senior year I, I did the whole combine thing and i was really blessed and fortunate to get drafted went to miami it's a fifth round pick and kind of the same scenario where i went from high school to college i went from right. college to high school because I, I you know i just won the morris trophy <laughs> award i was the best offensive lineman in the pac-12 i mean i got drafted and then all the media was hyping me up to be like hey this guy's gonna come in plug in automatic and then what was the draft process like Stressful. Oh, dude. Dude. Like, 
Like I've talked to a couple of guys about it. So my knee, I had a bad knee. Um, when I went to the combine right before I went, I got a cortisone shot in my knee because all training, it was just rubbing and it's been bone on bone for a while. So nobody knew about this knee at all. And then I, it all kind of came, I don't know how it does. Everybody tries to keep like things like that hidden, which is for sure what I was trying to do. And then the day of the draft, um, the second day, sorry, not the first round. Cause I knew I wasn't going first round, but my agent calls me. He's like, Hey man, like all these, all these people are calling me about your knee. What's up with your knee? I don't even know about your knee. I was like, I'm good. That's not a big deal. <laughs> they found out, dude, I got a cortisone shot from a doctor in San Diego where I was training at that I did on my own. Like I didn't even talk to anybody because this is right before I flew out for the combine. And so, um, team started calling me like, Hey, what's going on with your knee? Tell us about your knee. I was like, how did you find out? Of- my knee's fine. My knee's good. You know, it's good. And I was projected to go late second, early third. And then I dropped all the way to the fifth. So that and- one shot cost you some money. Yeah. But I knew that if I didn't get that shot and I went out to the combine, I wouldn't be able to do anything. It was so swollen. It was hurting. How'd they find out you got the shot? I have no idea. Dude, haven't you Not seen draft day? day? <laughs> they know everything. They dude. know everything. Yeah. Like, especially the guys that get drafted because they got to pay for those guys. Yeah. And so yeah, that's wild. Yeah. And so I like, love that it sucked because on, on that day, the second round and third round, I had all my family, my wife's family, who had this big shindig, and then the second round ended, and I was like, okay, I'm so hopeful. Midway through the third, my agents called me and said, hey, man, it's looking like tomorrow. So I just left. I was so upset, dude. And then the next day came, fourth round came and went, and I was like, I told my wife, I was actually in the room, and I was so frustrated, and I just told her, I was like, I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And, and then right after we had that conversation, the Dolphins called me. And so um, an emotional roller coaster, dude, and – so how much before you actually like watched the pick happen, did you find out you were getting drafted? I got called uh, two picks before. Okay. And so like, Hey, we're going to take you coming out, blah, blah, blah. And it was awesome. Like I'm balling my, my face off. And um, then I see it come across the screen and like literally as soon as it came across the screen, my phone started blowing up. All these reporters are calling and it was so, it was awesome, dude. It was, it was a very, very fortunate and priceless. So event. tell me about, there's obviously this like I've been around so many athletes, especially late, you know, the last five, six years because of the restaurant. And so many of them just can't see outside that like tunnel that just it's just football, 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 football. Yeah. Like there there seems to be kind of a softer, deeper side to you. Where did that come from? My mom. Yeah? Yeah, my mom and, and my wife. Like I I don't know. I've I've always been taught by my mom to be honest and true to to me and then my wife you know i'm so grateful for her because she opened up my eyes behind that curtain do you know what i mean and um when you when you eat breathe and live something for so long there there is no there is nothing else to you right. and that's why when guys are done in college or they get done in the league they either go broke or you know some of them turn to drugs some get depressed because they lose that identity like yeah. I, toward the end of my career i was struggling with a lot of depression anxiety because I couldn't separate those two. I was like, who am I if I'm not a football player? It's all I've been my whole life. I don't know who Isaac Asiata is. I know who Isaac Asiata, the football player is. It's and, Asiata. Yeah, Asiata. Sorry. <laughs> Just so you know. Sorry. I forgot. You're, you're, you're half Samoan. That's bad. right. My bad. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't know, man. For, for me, I face that. And um, a lot of guys, they, they have a struggle with what – 
of the unknown. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what am I going to do if I don't do this? I went through the exact same thing. And I see it now with a lot of my friends who finish in college, who finish in the league. And because they can't separate those two identities, that's why they struggle. And I, I mean, I was in the same boat. I, I, I spent three years having that confliction of, I am literally nothing if I'm not playing football. Like I am a nobody. I'm not going to get a job anywhere. I'm not good at anything. I got a sociology degree so that I can play football. Like <laughs> right. it's, it's considered the football degree. Because it, <laughs> if, if you want to know anything about earthquakes and volcanoes, let me know. Like I took about five of those classes. Or if you want to know how to, you know, keep score in a bowling, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, right. I've always thought there should be a school of the athlete, kind of like Harry Potter, right? Should. Like, there should just be like, let's, let's be honest. 80% of the football team is not there to get an education. They want to play ball. Yeah. And that, and that's okay. I, I, I almost wish that they would not necessarily make it easier, but just have some more general things for somebody that's not necessarily super motivated by Well, you're going to lose them. Like, college basketball is losing all their top guys now to the G League. Yep. You know, right. Because right. they can go and get paid. They don't yep. go to school. You know, they can work out with professionals. It's a free market, baby. That's what we need. It'll be interesting to see if, like, football. Well, and I – so – I, I I think that's a really cool thing to have because what you as the athlete, what else could help that besides parents? Because I feel like that, that's that a really vision? common thing in college, especially with college athletics. Because you've got college coaches that their job is like you describing your NFL job, right? It's they could be gone tomorrow. Like yeah. Coaches' jobs right now, and so they're not that. thinking of the young man outside of football they're thinking like i've got to maximize his potential because i feed my kids if they do well as a team and as players and so the coach almost teaches the tunnel vision right yes yeah and that's what i'm that's what and i got i got i got to experience both my freshman year my offensive line coach i absolutely hated him because his thing was like he had an assistant who I really liked. He was a good dude, but he had his starters and he could care less about you oh, unless you were a starter. So and so like he used to like, he used to just play so many mind games. And my thing is I hated the mental game of football. I'm like, why would you make me be preoccupied and strip me of my confidence before I even have any established? So he used to make me stand up in, in film and, and meetings with, with all the starters in front. And then I'd have to come stand in front of them and like tell them and explain the play where I'm like, I don't even like, this is the install for the week. I'm on practice squad. I don't know this play. Do you know what I mean? But you do those things to like demoralize you, which made no sense to me. Why you? That's old that. school. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. He was a super, super old school dude. And then um, in 2013, when I first got off, when I just got off my mission, uh, Jim Harding came from Wyoming and he was the perfect mix of both because he wouldn't stand for anything but your best, but he cared more about how your life outside of football was going than he did in football because he was a firm believer that if your life, your personal life, if those things aren't in tune, you you will suck on the football field. So he can't get the most out of you if when you show up, you're not even 100% at your best. Right. How did he do that? Because that's that has got to be such a hard thing to do yeah. to find that kind of balance between those two. I don't know. Cause I mean, f- as far as my understanding, when he first got there, he wasn't used to, there was so many Polynesians in that, in that offensive line room that it was kind of not necessarily a culture shock to him, but he was, he was uh, used to like those cowboy farm boys up in Wyoming, yeah. you know what I mean? And, but he took the initiative to get to know each of us individually you know, to be cultured, you know, he wanted to learn about us. It's and a big difference. It's right? a big difference. Um, but 
he he wanted us to understand that he was there for us, not to be over us. Do you know what I mean? So he, but he did a good thing, a good job of balancing the the authority authoritative uh, figure with the father figure who cares about you know if you had a crappy date or like you just broke up with your girlfriend, you're having trouble with your wife at home. You know, those are things he'd always ask you about because it was never it was never football unless we were in the meeting room or at practice. It was always like, hey, how's your mom doing? Hey, how are you doing? How's school? And he actually cared. Oh, yeah. Like he cared about what you were going to say. And that was why I think that a lot of the guys um, flocked to him. And and he did so well early on, and and he's still there today is because everybody knew he was genuine. You can read straight through that when you're like, this guy doesn't care. He doesn't even know what my wife's name is. Do you know what I mean? But he made it a point to – build that personal relationship where he cares it's always your family then school and then football because if those first two things are messed up in any way you're not going to perform and so whatever formula he was able to create and and use it worked because he was ahead of the game oh yeah man and he did a great job and then it was cool because coach witt uh, when I went in back in 2011, there was a lot of old, old head coaches. Do you know what I mean? That were just not like Norm Chow, who's a great guy. But I remember telling him, hey, I want to go on my mission and as a freshman. And he was just like, well, I don't think you should go on a mission. Like he was just tell, you know, he's kind of playing that like, you know, I don't know. So there were so many of these older, old school guys on staff. And then he brought in Jim Harding and then he brought in, um, Sharif Shaw, he brought in um, Coach Holiday from down here. You know, like oh, all I these so guys. so sad about that. <laughs> Dude, he's a stud. He's my guy. You know? I love guy. But all the coaches on that staff, they all have developed and and kind of – that's kind of the base now, foundation for Utah football is and, – and not saying that I didn't see with other, other coaches, but Jim Harding was a huge piece that – um, cause that line that he first had in 2013, four of us got drafted our senior year of the five and the fifth one ended up going the next year. So, um, you know, it works because he was able to get more out of us because there was more of us there at the time that he was trying to coach us. That makes sense. Totally makes sense. And I, I think with O-line, it's my favorite position, not just cause I'm a big dude, but there's, there's like a family element with the O-line yeah. that you don't see with any other position group. Like, so two J is my homeboy. Like, yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. And he's that way. Like what you're talking about with Jim, just he'd be in here with players all the time, just one-on-one catching up with them. Sometimes you'd hear him kind of like, yeah, pulling the him. dad figure, yep. like, pull your head out of your ass. Like, you know, <laughs> but he didn't do it in front of the team. He took him no. to lunch. And he, you know, it, it, it was it was love. And so it's that O-line room, it's so important. I think oh, that yeah. part of that position group is so important. Like, you've got to feel like a big family. Because the, the O-line is, I mean, there's no individual anything with the O-line. Yeah. I mean, there could be better players than others. But if you don't work together. I'm a firm believer that the heart of your team is the O-line and the success of the entirety of the team is based on the O-line. Like even the defense, like there's so many individual positions yeah. where if your your O-line is kind of the glue that holds all those individuals together that makes the whole team. And if your O-line isn't clicking that way, then it, you know, then guys start clicking off and then, you know what I mean? Like you have to have that tight group of guys who everybody's like, oh man, like look how, how these five guys get together. We can all get together and then, that's when you get a team. And I feel like without the offensive line, it doesn't happen. Oh, 
dude, my fantasy football success is all <laughs> because I know that. I, I draft guys from teams with O lines. There you I go. Mean, it just it, it works, but it's it's true because you have one. I mean, to use the cliche, you're only as strong as your weakest link, mm-hmm. right? All it takes is one weak link with the O line, and yep. the whole O line's exposed, right? Yep. It doesn't matter how good you are. And so I don't know. I think it's such a special position group, and to hear the coaching stories, and you know, with, especially with Polynesian players, you said there's a lot of Polynesian players. Yeah. Like once they're loyal, like once once they connect with you, like you won't get a stronger, tighter, oh yeah, bond and family than that. Yep. So that had to be such a cool experience for and, your coach. And for I don't know what it is about Polly's man, but like you have to do something just out there to earn that loyalty and respect. Right. And and Jim, my that was in my sophomore year, he used to take the heat from the coaching staff. He used to take the heat from everybody so that we didn't take it. And, you know, I remember him standing up for us in like a big group meeting. Um, as an offense where, you know, the O-line's kind of getting shredded and he, like, shuts it down. And he's just like, don't go at my guys. Like, Way cool. this is us. Like, if, if whatever is going on with them, come to me and I'll get it fixed. Don't, don't, you know what I mean? And he takes the brunt of everything. And he continued to do that. I mean, I remember we played in Oregon in 2015. And right behind the O-line bench, there's these guys that are drunk and they're just yelling at us, cussing us out, blah, blah, blah. And I remember after the game, after we won, he went up to the guy and just completely obliterated the dude and was just like, don't you ever talk to my kids that way ever again. You know, we found out about it later, right. but man, like for me, that was huge. Do you know what I mean? For for sure. And that's, you know, the O-line, they get no love either. No. They never get credit. No. Man, running back has a 200-yard game. He gets all the cameras in his face. Nobody's talking about the eight-foot wide holes that he got all day long that's why they get free food at byu that's the only well not free ncaa no they don't don't. but (laughs) soon they get taken care of like that's the one position group that yeah but well there's so many cool parallels from that into life into business about you know like the one-on-one relationship and standing up for people like what a cool leadership opportunity you know to learn at the feet of a guy like that yeah. That you're going to be able to take into everything that you're doing as a dad, father, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I 100% agree. And I'm a better man. Um, I mean, I was a great football player and my success came because of the way he taught me um, and because I worked under him and worth it, and with him. But I'm a better man, husband, father because of him, because the things that I learned from him. Um, and one of my favorite things that he used to say all the time is how you do anything is how you'll do everything. Right. And it used to bug me because I'm like, dude, leave me alone. I'm just trying to live my life. And he'd say it, it was like those dad uh, comments, you know, where you're just like, all right. But, you know, that that carried on. And I still, to this day, man, like I have to make sure that the little things that I do in life, I'm doing just as hard as the big things. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm grateful for him. Have you have you told him that? Like, have you told him that story? The one about the, yeah, oh, yeah, all the time. I yeah. mean, I give him crap about everything. You know, we always talk. <laughs> he used to get on me so much because I, I mean, as an offensive line, you stay out of the spotlight. You don't really say much. You know what I mean? But, like, I was such a personality. And because of my face paint, and I was, I, it was more, he didn't want me to be big-headed and have that individualism. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like, that was just my, like, I felt like I was, like, the bash brother on the, like, me and another dude. Like, that, me and the tackle would play next to me. But Who you know, was that? JJ Dillman. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So like me and him were like the Bash really brothers. Do you know what I mean? And um 
I don't know. He used to just get on me about stuff like that because he didn't want it to take away from the old line. That's never, the old school side of him. Yeah, but it, I never intended to, but I just have such a big personality, and I loved wrestling in college big time. So, like, I used to have the face paint. I used to be so dramatic. You know what I mean? Just all the drama from the WWE. I used to, you know, whatever. Like, I even painted my hair. I dyed my hair half blonde like one of the wrestlers, and it was just so – and my social media presence, everything. And then he just always just give me crap about it. And I just shoot him back for it, you know. But but that stuff's important. I re- you remember when the – so we had the Kafusi boys on. Yeah. A, a while back. Yeah. And I remember, I remember asking Bronson. I was like, there was a year where all of a sudden, you know, he was kind of the – everybody kind of talked to him like, oh, man, when are we going to see, like, what he can really do? Oh, yeah. He's got the size and the speed. And he's just kind of – but he just wasn't ever really – getting there and one of the big deals was Vic Soto like mm-hmm. came in and made a mean but the other thing was um personality his dad was his coach right yeah and he's very old school and he said something along the lines of I finally started or somebody had given him the advice like when you make a play like you yell you scream you pound your yeah. chest like don't feel bad about like the spotlight shining on you. Yeah. And he goes, that was kind of the turning point was I was just able to kind of be myself, react the way that I wanted to, and it just created an energy and it just and snowballed from there. Yeah. See, that was that was right. us, dude. Like our offensive line from 14 till 16. Yeah, screw like you just, <laughs> just such that we had such we had such so not egos, but like, do we knew confidence oh yeah so and even everybody in our conference knew that when they played us they were gonna be you're gonna get smacked oh yeah dude like they knew that we like if they were they had to bring their a game they had to watch film and it was because when we would light somebody up oh man you you might as well put that dude through a table like that's who wants to line up next to that or in front of that i just pulled up uh, one of the face paint do you ever watch vikings you know you know floki's eye paint so i tried to do that one time and i messed up and i was like i might as well just cover it all my eye and i was like oh this looks so great the story yeah well it started because i originally did the first time i ever did face paint uh you remember hawk and animal the uh-huh. road so i did hawks right and then my brother's like dude you should keep doing that and i was like all right so i, I did was, hawks. This, was this just in college or did you start i this did in it high in school? the league oh no in high school not really in high school it was kind of just like the the just you know the, the regular like whatever but then in college man like i did a uh because of like the u indian tribe i did that whole f- across black face paint i did a bunch of different stuff dude and um what i wanted to do because sting was one of my favorite wrestlers dude <laughs> i even i even do you want to do like the white the white not the white but just the black <laughs> right it kind of looks like the crow yeah i tried to do it and i remember i came out and then i went back into the locker room it looked like my whole face was like smeared i was like all right this is way too much <laughs> and i used to get in so i used to get so much crap from coach harding about the face paint like he was just like at the start, when I first started doing it, it's like, oh, here he goes again with the face paint. And then it was like, oh, yeah, here he goes with the face paint. Yeah. Oh, it's, why it, wouldn't you want as that? Soon, as soon as, like, as soon as. Well, th- it became like your uniform. Yeah. my, my like ritual- Once the face paint came on, I was like, all right, yeah, lights my, are on. Game, Dude, here we my, go. My game day ritual was is always the same where I'd come in the locker room, get everything set up the way I needed to, all my bands, my socks, my pants, everything. And I would be talking to dudes, you know, whatever, shooting, whatever, all that stuff. And then. As soon as I then I put my headphones on and I put I'd get dressed. As soon as the face paint came on, I wouldn't talk to anybody. Like it was just like a a weird like persona. Like I put a mask on and it was done. Like I was locked in, ready to go. And it was a big intimidation factor. I remember I used to get 
like guys on the defense we'd go against like anytime they'd see me and then they'd see oh damn like they'd be oh oh that plays a huge role oh yeah that's intimidating as hell Especially Plus if you're good to boot. Like, yeah. That's, that's the thing. You can back it up because guys yes. that do that and they can't back it up. You're oh, like, that's super annoying. Get out of here. Yeah, dude. Instant. Thank goodness I could back it up because <laughs> then I just look like a clown. <laughs> but it, yeah, man, it was that, that. But then the confidence just builds, man. You know what I mean? And you kind of have to be kind of like how Bronson was. You just got to be treat yourself. My thing is like, I love, I mean, I love the spotlight. I mean, I, was a offensive line. I was a defensive lineman playing offensive line. Not really because I like sucked. The at The worst spotlight spot yeah. ever, too. You know, and yeah. but it was you had to work kind of like a it. humble brag kind of deal, you know. But at the same time, like I was able to establish like everybody at Utah fans. They know who Five Four is. That's me. Like they know who that's that's. I mean, I have an LLC that's named that now. You know what I mean? Right. But those are just things that I don't know. Just like Bronson, man, just being true to yourself. And then that's when I really started having confidence in myself to do and play the way that I did. Well, to your point, like you can never reach your full potential if you aren't at no. your max. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a stupid example, but it's I always use is like, that's why the airlines, they say, put your mask on first because then you can go help somebody else. Like if yep. you don't have your mask on, you're that's not going to be able analogy. to help anybody yeah, else. I like that. Somebody told me that analogy too when I retired. So that's a great analogy. I, so I think so too. Um. So you're going through, you obviously had a fantastic college career. You get drafted. Four-year starter. Yeah. You know, like, what was that like when you first got to Miami? Oh, dude, it was bad. It was, <laughs> I I loved, I loved, it was so exciting, but I was still burnt out. Like, yeah. And from the jump, it was bad because from the jump, I, I was so excited in the league. I was like, yeah, it's kind of refreshing, new, new everything. But then, like, the old burnt out football player came back. Like, it was great. You know, it was nice to finally have money and to take care of my wife. Like my wife's like, baby, you don't have to work. You know what I mean? And then, but then when it came to practice and film, dude, I just, it, it all came back and it was just like, I don't want to do this. But then I was like, oh, you don't have a choice because if you don't, then who's going to pay for your, who's going to take care of your wife? Who's going to pay, you know, the bills. And, um, and I just got completely manhandled my rookie year. I mean, I was going against the Dominican Sioux all all camp but you know the 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 guys this is why i love football is because no matter what you always have the guys and the guys in our locker room um they humbled me a lot but at the same time they built me up like mike pouncey was my locker was right next to him for almost two years and he wow was such a great mentor to me and he helped me what a cool guy to be right next oh to. yeah dude he was awesome because he 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 knew my potential and what i could do um and then i just had different coaches who were trying to make me play a way that i knew i couldn't play um and so he always and he always told me that just play how i feel comfortable I don't care about the, uh, the coaches but then at the same time you're a rookie and like i don't want to get fired so i'm gonna do what that dude tells me <laughs> and and i mean say with the dominican sue he used to beat me so bad on one-on-ones and in practice but um, one of the things that kind of jump-started my confidence was when he told me, he's like, dude, nobody can lock me up like you can. Like when my thing was, they're trying to coach me to stay away and not get in close quarters, but like I wasn't fast enough to do that. Do you know what I mean? So my thing was as soon as I get off the line, I'd jump somebody, grab them, lock them down. Like then I can shuffle and move around with them. They're not, get, they're not getting away balls out. Um, and Adam Kinsu used to tell me to do that all the time. I mean, in Madden, after my rookie year, Adam Kinsu strengths 99 the next high strength was mine at 98. 
and then everybody else after that was really sweet. And then, wow. but then the rest of my stats were crappy in the fifties. <laughs> and then my my overall was like a sixty-seven or something. So how did, do you say? How did Sue told know that? you that that yeah. you locked him down more than anybody? Yeah, and it was. I mean, he he gave me his fair share of just absolutely obliterating me. But he told me he's like, dude, you're a strong cat. You can lock me down. Just do that. Why would you not just do what you're good at? Do you I mean, know what I mean? That's one of the best to ever do it. Yeah. Like, how is he as a teammate? Because he kind of has so, a reputation so, as he's probably the nicest he, guy in the world. Oh no, he's not. Oh, he's not. He, uh, okay, I was gonna say so many a big, of those guys. He's a big introvert, dude. Like he keeps himself, and then he has like if you're not in with him, like he looks at you and he's like, yeah, he's a cool dude. He, you might as well not even exist. He doesn't pay any mind to you, or he'll just absolutely just insult your face off, you know. <laughs> but if you you know can you have some kind of rapport with him, you know, he doesn't really pay mind to you. He'll say what's up to you and make some snarky comment, whatever. But then at the same time, he'll with him, stay out of his way. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was tight with him, but I, I at least earned his respect enough for him to talk to me and say, what's up. You know what I mean? Like that's gotta be a confidence booster. alone. Yeah. And my, so my rookie year was absolute garbage. I mean, I was active all season and then never played it down. I mean, and I mean, wow. I can't imagine that. I talked about that with the Cthusis, but you take someone like you who star, power played everything college high school i mean well, right star starts for an o-lineman to be as known as well yeah it, he that's was. what i'm saying like i mean it is and then you go to not playing oh man it was like that not a very good team either no and, like, and, that's and the, thing, so hard. the thing that was frustrating is like in the league usually the rookies um especially if your team is like all right we're not going to the playoffs right Usually once the playoffs are gone, then they start trying to figure out who they have on the roster of the young guys. So then they'll start playing them. Everybody who played but me. Like they never put what? me in. They didn't put me in any garbage time. All the other all the other guys who were drafted and even some um free agents, they were playing. I never got to play. They didn't put me in at all. And my thing that always that always stuck with me that kind of killed my confidence was well, at least just put me in here so I can know instead of me in my mind thinking I can play and then, oh, they're not playing me, so maybe I can't play. Do you know what I mean? At least throw me out there. If I suck, then I suck. Get rid of me. You got undrafted free agents out there? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Wow. You know, and it was it was. Did they just, ever tell you? It would be such what a happened? mental game. No. no. They never, and I, to, to this day, I never, I never knew why. I never did. Because even – so my second year – um, I had a great offensive line coach who kind of turned new coach, new brand new offensive line coach who was, who I sat down in the off season and we talked about things and he kind of challenged me like, Hey man, there's a lot of people who don't think you can do this. He's like, I don't know who you are, but I think you can do this based on your film. What I know of you, you can do this. And so it kind of pissed me off that he already knew that there was people in our front office in our organization who were like, nah, he's not going to be good, you know? And, I worked so hard, man, and I impressed. And my, my thing was more important. I didn't play that that year at all. Um, I actually got cut after training camp. They signed me back to practice squad. But I had earned the respect of everybody in the locker room, and that, to me, was bigger than playing. Like, everybody knew, and the all the guys on our defense, like, they knew that if they were going up against me that they had to do something drastic. Otherwise, I'd lock them down. Like, I was playing really well. I worked so hard. They cut me, and it kind of just killed my confidence. I had such great momentum from OTAs going into training camp and I played all throughout uh, preseason and then, I, then they cut me and kind of just everything came back full circle and I just never recovered again because the rest of that season I was on practice squad till about November then they brought me up and I was like alright man now's my time to play we're not going to the playoffs 
now's my time to see. And then I didn't play wow. again. I didn't play again. And it was so traumatic and so dramatic. And I was already going through a lot of things in my marriage. Um, and I just wasn't who I was before I went to the NFL. I was so depressed. I had so much anxiety and I was just so much pent up frustration and anger that I like took it out of my wife where I just wouldn't talk to her or I'd stay at work just because I didn't want to go home. You know what I mean? And just a whole different person. It was bad. Oh, that's gotta be so tough. It, it, one, that's the other thing I've noticed about the NFL too, is it is not the best players playing sometimes, you know, a lot of it has to do with who's getting paid. Yep. And I mean, if, if, if a lower draft pick or even an undrafted guy is better, your job is not safe just because, or you're not going to get playing time because we have to develop the guy we paid because mm. I, the GM, will look bad. If he doesn't pan out. If he doesn't pan out. It's, so it's not about winning. It's about pride. Our, right? uh, our, our GM was a good dude. Chris Greer, I liked him a lot. He had another guy who's kind of like the player personnel dude who would come to me every day and tell me, you're going to make me look good. You're going to make me look good. Or you're just going to keep making me look stupid for picking you. And did you guys watch The Last Dance? Yeah. He reminded me of, of Jerry. Krause? Yeah, dude. Like when he would come talk to me, it was just like, dude, that's the same guy, you know? Wow. But I don't know, man. Um, my, mean, when you were going through that, were you able to, like, did you recognize kind of like the mental side of that? Or were no, you just dude, like such I, in a fog you weren't, no, I was in no such, idea what was going on? And the thing on. that was even worse about that is because I was depressed, I was eating so much. Like I, I when I retired or when I got fired by the Dolphins last year, I was about 360. And when I got drafted, I was 320. So my thing was I was so depressed that I started gaining weight and then I couldn't perform. And because I couldn't perform, then I started gaining like weight. It's like this self-fulfilling cycle. Yeah. And it was just self-destruction. I was just like, well, I mean, whatever. Might as well do what kind of brings me some kind of happiness and food, which is why I play <laughs> offensive line. Because, <laughs> Well, it's got to be such a shot to the uh, – because when you're not getting playing time when the team's out of the playoffs and you're seeing undraft free, why would you think, like, it doesn't matter what I do? Yeah, exactly. You know? And the thing that's crazy is, do you remember the Miami Miracle game? Yeah. So around that time, our guard, one of our guards was was really banged up. Like, it was like, dude, my shoulder shot. Like, put this kid in, just see what he can do. And he even, even me, he was telling me, he's like, dude, it's such BS. They're not putting you in. Like, I'm hurt and I'm still playing, but they don't trust me. You know what I mean? And, um, just when you hear it from the other guys, it kind of hurts even more where they also confirm your suspicion of like, should I not be playing or should I be playing? Yeah. Like, no, you should be playing. I'm like, damn, well that sucks even worse. Cause at least these guys, you know, so it was such a difficult time in my life where I just, but then, but then like you're talking about, there's those blinders that fog, like there's nothing else yes. to me. There was literally nothing else. If I failed at this, I would forever be a failure. I would forever, forever be all these terrible things that I was telling myself. You know yeah. what I mean? I'd never be able to do anything. We'd, I'd lose our, you know, we'd go broke. I'd be another statistic of somebody who goes bankrupt. You know what I mean? All those crazy lies you tell to yourself. But well, you, it's not the real world. Like, it's no. not. like when when you're with these guys in the NFL, it is like eat, sleep, breathe. I mean, I'll show up at the Saints facility at like 5 a.m. to start cooking, you know, for the lunch. And half the team's there. And there's a bunch of coaches' cars that didn't even leave. Like they were yeah. there all night. Like it is, it it doesn't stop. No, it doesn't. Especially in season. I mean, in the in OTAs and stuff like that. There's kind of, but in season, like I remember Frank Gore. 
he would be there at like 3 a.m. doing a workout and then he'd get stretched and then he'd do another workout before we went to meetings. And it, I mean, he never practiced. He didn't have to practice. You know what I mean? He knew his stuff, but then he'd be working out while we're practicing. He'd work out like four or five times the day and then he'd still be the last one to leave, but the first one to show up. But that, like, those are things well, that you have. his career. Just, yeah, just like, just like watching that film and doing all those things, dude, you have to be willing to do those things to be successful because everybody else is already there at five. Okay, well, I'm going to be there at four. Well, everybody's there at four. I'm going to be there at three. Everybody's leaving at six. I'll leave at seven. Do you know what I mean? Those are the games you got to play to be successful in there. And it works for some guys. Some guys, they try to do it. I try to do it where I was like, okay, I'm going to start coming in with Frank. And it paid dividends, but then at the same time, dude, like you can only force it for so cost. long. Yeah, dude. It's and we talked about it a lot with guys who people are starting business, right? If you're, it's not the same thing, but it's like you are only doing that to make money. It is. It, yeah, I think not, it's a perfect. Not necessarily example. because you loved it as much. Yep. You were doing it out of almost fear. If I don't do this, I'm not going to make the money. Which is what I did. You know, literally. not because I love it. Which will burn you out. And I and, yeah. I, and, and it's I, not a passion. Yeah, dude. I used to come in early. And do all those things because a coach told me, he's like, how come you're always the first one in or the last one in in the morning? They used to record all the guys coming in in the morning. And if you were the last one, they'd come talk to you. Or if you were constantly showing up not early with everybody else, it'd be like, oh, man, I guess you don't care about this. You must not want the job. You know what I mean? Then you start doing it because you're like, oh, okay, whatever. I feel like you have to. Mm -hmm. Not because I wanted to. What is it about the Dolphins? Why can't they get their crap together? I don't know, dude. I don't know who decided. Ever since Dan Marino left. No, well, it's. I think it's a. It's got to be an ownership thing. It's just got to be a. Maybe it's money. Well, not who owns them. But I don't they, know. I, they just they have been. I will. I will tell you this though. The coach that they have right now, um, he's he's gonna. It'll be different with him because his thing is like you either keep up or you're gone. Before it was like, because usually head coaches they have their guys that they're like yeah just do whatever you want right. But he's like. I don't have guys. I have the best who want to be here. And if you don't and you can't keep up, we'll find somebody else to replace you. So. Yeah. At that level, you can't be like, like you, you have to be like that. Yep. You know, it's just the best, the best people have to be out here. The people that want it. Was there any, was there conversation within the players about like the mental health side, the depression? Like, did you ever feel like there was a guy you could turn to? Like, was, no, there, I had, was that openly talked about at all? No, because everybody jokes about CTE and they say, right. <laughs> everybody's like, I think I might have CTE. I'm not going to practice today. But no, I had, I had great mentors in uh, our player development guys. His name's Caleb Thornhill and then his assistant, Eve. Um, both those dudes, they were always there for me and they knew when I was having an off day and they knew that when I was going through it and they'd always come talk to me, like, Hey, come see me after, or Hey, come talk to me for like five minutes, we'll figure this out. And they were, they were great because they'd help. They'd let me talk about it. But even in the, in that time, I didn't really understand how bad it really was until I, until after I got let go from Miami. Cause that's when I like looked back. I was like, Oh man, this is, it got pretty It's hard dicey. to hide that stuff. Yeah, like if you're just not into it, you know, and you're yeah. I'm, you're hard on your sleeve guy, like your personality. Yeah, I'm I'm sure people could see it. Right? Yeah, and guys knew because like, my thing is like I try to be super happy, upbeat, and kind of like not necessarily fake it till you make it. But like when when you get sick of playing and your body hurts and you're like I don't want to practice today, you kind of had to fake it to you know till sure. practice is over. And a lot of guys they could tell when I was just going through it. Like I had a, a lot of good teammates who would pull me aside, but they do what's going on. Like I remember um, Kenny Stills was one of those dudes who would pull me aside and be like, "Hey, dude, wow. are you good? Is your wife good? Like, what's going on? Do you know what I mean?" 
Um, That's really cool. I was very, I was very fortunate to have really good teammates that guys that like, even though they had a lot of stuff going on, they could also notice that, Hey, this dude's not doing really well. I remember when I got cut, man, the, the amount of guys who had reached out and told me that it was BS that I got cut mm-hmm. after training camp, man, it was that it meant a lot to me yeah. at the time, you know? So what was it like making the decision to actually retire? Um, you know, like, like how did you get to a point where you yeah. were like, so yeah, this isn't it. So when, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you got picked up by the bills, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so I hurt my back last year during OTAs. Uh, I just had a back spasm and I saw a back specialist who was like, Oh, it's just a back spasm. Uh, you know, rest for a couple of weeks and then should be good to go. And I remember leaving that doctor's office. Like, well, I remember going in like, Oh, this is my career, whatever. And I remember leaving hopeful and then hearing also from the front office, yeah, man, we'll just rest you for a couple of weeks and bring you back when we start practicing. And then I remember I went home, came back that morning, I was getting breakfast, and then the Grim Reaper came. And he, I don't even know the dude's name. Everybody just knows him by the Reaper because the only time he's downstairs, <laughs> only time he's downstairs is when he's pulling guys upstairs to get cut. And I remember seeing him lurking, and I saw him in passing, and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> I got my got my got my oatmeal, dude. I turn around. He's like, "Hey, uh, come upstairs, bring your iPad, coach. I'll see you." Oh. And I was like, "Dang it!" And so, like, when they cut me, um, well, leading up to it, and the years leading up to it, like, I was so afraid of not being a football player anymore, of like what people would think because I had such a great reputation for being this great football player, so many expectations, all these different things that I was so afraid that if I got fired. I would get absolutely crucified and people wouldn't look at me the same because like I said, I couldn't separate the two. Like Isaac Asiata is a football player. You know, he's not a person. He's just a football player. And if he's not a good football player, then he's a crappy person, you know? And um, when they cut me, I went home and I was so, I was so stressed out and so depressed about it that I didn't want to hear from anybody, turned my phone off and just cried with my wife. I said, people are going to look at me different now. Like I'm a failure uh, this, that, and the other. And I was waiting for it to come and it never came. Do you know what I mean? Like I waited a few days that this unholy, um, whatever of what I thought people were and how they're going to look at me and treat me. It never came. All these monsters that I made up about what would happen if I got fired or wasn't playing football anymore, never happened, never came to fruition. And it was actually the complete opposite. People were messaging me, Hey bro, you'll bounce back. You'll bounce back from this. Don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. It was great. And in that moment, I was done. I was like, oh, sweet. Well, I'll retire here. It's great. Whatever. <laughs> and my wife's like, mm, if you retire and you don't give another shot, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And then my thing was like, okay, I'm going to give it another shot, but I'm 360 pounds. My goal right then was I'm going to take the next two, three months and focus on me. Because just like that analogy you gave, um, I can't take care of everybody else around me unless I take care of myself. And so... Um, I wanted to remove every factor that was contributing to me possibly not playing. So I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to get faster. I wanted to eat better. Um, everything that they said was the problem. I wanted to remove it. And so I lost. I got all the way down. How to cool. There's like extreme ownership, right? You just yeah. owned everything. It's everything. Like, it's on me. Yep. I got it. Yep. And then I actually started working with Jordan Pendleton when I came back. Dude, I was 360. And then by the time I went to my Bills workout, I was 298. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. dude, I lost a lot. I remember of watching those videos. And, and how much posting. time? Uh, almost about two and a half months. Wow. And um, Jordan was awesome because he helped me build that 
that confidence back up in myself and how I how I moved, all, like everything. Jordan worked everything. He's pretty brilliant. He's, dude, he man. he knew so good at his job. He knew everything that was lacking with me. He got me with the trainer who helped me get my back fixed, and um, I was feeling so great. And so I went to Buffalo and did a workout. Got hired by Buffalo and. Football was fun for the first time in a very, very long time. Like that organization was perfect for me to go to, to kind of see, I, I don't know. I felt like it, that that was the only team I could go to, to retire because I got there. Everything was great. The coaches were awesome. My teammates were great. Um, football was fun. Like practice wasn't grueling. The weather was awesome. You know what I mean? But then I started getting that burnout feeling again of like, dude, I don't think you want to do this anymore. And um, I remember I woke up. Oh, well, first I thought it was, I was homesick. So I flew my wife and my daughter out and I was like, no, that's not this. I woke up that morning. I remember praying, um, because I, I just knew as soon as I opened my eyes, I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't have to do this anymore. It's okay to be done. And I remember praying about it. And man, that overwhelming feeling of that confirmation is, I don't know, because we're, we're members and uh, we understand that feeling of that confirmation and, and answer to a prayer, especially one immediately, I knew it. I knew I was done. I knew I could be done. I knew I could walk away then. Um, well, because you'd taken away all the other excuses. At yeah. that point, you knew it was, that's what you wanted, yeah. not because you couldn't do it, but that's genuinely what was inside of you at that time. Yeah. And I was able to finally leave and be like, you know what? I gave another shot. I was able to get signed to another team. You know, things were going really well. I was, I was having fun at practice. I was doing really well at practice. Um, and so I hung it up and the coaching staff was great. They were just like, hey, you know what, man? They actually, so when you retire like that, they kind of release you from the team and then you're just retired. But uh, their coach and their front office was like, hey man, that's not how we do things around here. What we're gonna do is we're gonna retire you to our retired roster. So I'm officially retired as a Buffalo Bill. And cool. it was cool because they were just like, we'll do a whole press release about it and you'll be added to our reserve guys and then our retired team. So like, if you were to look at all players who retired as Buffalo Bills, I'm in there. Rather than wow. you were just a free agent retired and you're done. Way cool. So it was it was pretty classy yeah, move, I think. Really classy move. I'm grateful for them for that. Was Dre there when DeAndre West yeah, was he, he there? He that's my guy, right? Used to play. Me and him, dude, we used to we used to make jokes because there were so many offensive linemen that we had three and a half teams. Wow. And me and him would be on that half team sometimes because we were kind of <laughs> newer and we'd be like, All right, bro, let's go. We'd I was like, let's go make the most out of this one rep. We go and just go, <laughs> dude. We would we would do the play, and then me and him would just race down the field like, yeah, and then come to the sideline. Oh, like, bro, I beat you. You know, he was. I still talk to him. He's a really good dude. Man. Where's he at right now? I think he's a free agent. Is he? Yeah, the last time yeah. because I know he's out here right now in Utah. I was gonna say I gotta text him. He's I haven't seen him for a while. Trey's a good dude. Very cool. So, what was next? Next was we retired, a, and then I retired, and then I was looking at. Um, trying to sustain the lifestyle, the money of the NFL. Right. Um, because even though I wasn't playing anymore, I was like, oh, it's been really nice to just go to the store and just go like this all day long and not worry about, you know. He was using a credit card swiping motion for those, <laughs> yeah, those of you listening Sorry. in. Yeah. <laughs> Should I do this? And um, So, you know, the automatically I was like, okay, I'm a good people person. I can talk to people. I could probably sell anything I want, you know what I mean? So I was like, let's get a sales job. Um, and I was looking at a sales job and they offered me a, a position that would have paid really, really well. And I was super stoked. 
until they told me that I'd be in the office all day long, making phone calls, don't really get to go out and talk to people. And I went home, took it to my wife. I was like, babe, look at this salary. Look at the benefits. Like, this is perfect. And again, my wife is my saving grace. And she said, you just left a job that paid you a lot of money, really good money, and you hated it. I was like, I can guarantee in a year from now, you're going to hate doing that. So why don't you find a job that you'll love to do every single day for the rest of your life? And I was just like, well, I mean, I can't play football anymore. I don't know what else I'm going to do. But this job as a law enforcement officer came around like right then. I had I had made really good friends with um, one of my close friends now to this day. And um, he kind of introduced me to it. But it wasn't, it wasn't a like, hey, come be a cop. It was like, hey, these are all my cop buddies. Um, I'll start hanging out with them. And I start seeing how simple their life is. They don't make great money, but they're still happy. Their bills are paid. They're, everything's paid for. They're, they make just enough to, to do that, but they're happy. They're not scrambling to make money. They're not doing um, all this extra stuff. They're just happy and content with their life because they get to spend it with their family. They get to spend it with their buddies. Um, and like, I wanted that, dude. That camaraderie, too. I mean, I'm yeah, sure I missed. Appealed. It's that same team, right? Yeah. I, brotherhood. I missed, I missed the locker room more than anything. And it was nice to see these dudes who were that tight knit because of their job as well, you know, but just the simplicity of their life, how humble of a life they had. Um, and then their job is literally in service. I mean, my whole life, I've always felt that I was supposed to help people and, and be in service to them some way or the other. And I thought that by going to the league, I can have money to give to people. And, and even though I, I donated money and, and did Christmases and Thanksgiving, it was great, but I never felt that connection of like, Hey, I want you to know that I'm here for you. Not for any other reason than for you to know that I'll take care of you if you need me to do something for you. Do you know what I mean? And um, so they had an opening at Provo PD. Um, I had never ran a mile, let alone a half mile in my life. And then I had to run a mile and a half. And oh man, it was probably the ugliest mile and a half you've ever seen in your life. But you know, I trained, I, I was able to get through it. I passed um, and I just took it and ran with it, man. And, and, um, the, the more I was in it, the more I fell in love with this idea of somebody willing to put their life on the line, to never see their family again, to just go to work, put their life on the line for somebody they've never met before until they needed you to do it. And what better way, man, as, as I mean, this is kind of from a religious standpoint, but just as a disciple of Christ that you get to do this for them. Do you know what I mean? For no other reason than you want to, not because you feel like you have to, because you don't, you can quit at any time. But for me, I've grown a, I guess, a special pride in knowing that, you know, even though I say goodbye to my wife, my kid, I don't know if I'm going to see them again later that night. I'm okay with going and giving my life so that somebody else feels safe and they can feel like they don't have to be afraid anymore. Do you know what I mean? And, just being there for them for whatever they need. That's, it's so fulfilling every single day to be able to do that. People don't think about that stuff with so many law enforcement officers. It's, there is a, a bigger meaning to the job. Yeah. Cause I mean, let's face it to want to be a cop. I mean, yeah, there's a few of those short guys, right. That <laughs> have, you know, need a little power, but I mean, but for the most part, law enforcement officers, they want to help. Yep. You know, you're a big dude. I'm sure you have this. I feel like with a lot of big, strong guys, there's just this natural element of just you want to protect. Yeah, you want right? to nurture. You want to yeah. look out for look out for 
You just want to protect people. Yeah. You want to look out for people. That, and That developed with the quarterbacks, you know, in football. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah you wanted to that, – that's your guy, right? Yeah, I remember in high school we had a quarterback who always scrambled and he'd run out of bounds, but he used to always run to the opposing sideline. And I remember his dad, he's like, hey, when my son runs over there, just make sure he's not there by himself. And I, it was just like that was a moment that I still remember to this day where I was like – if he's running over there, I don't care where I'm at on the field, he's not going to be there by himself. And I'd always run over there, and that carried into college, into the NFL, and I was always really tight with quarterbacks. And I don't know, man. I, I think it's kind of a Polynesian thing. It's also kind of just a, a my own personality thing that I learned from my mom of just Ooh. always trying to take care of other people. Yeah. Well, in looking at our nation, what a crazy time yeah. to want to become a cop. Dude, I became a cop. And then COVID hit, and I was like, <laughs> I remember everybody being like, dang, bro, it's a crazy time to be a cop. You guys probably don't do anything. I was like, yeah, man, this is wild. And then everything else happens, and then you're like, yeah, this is a crazy time to be a cop. <laughs> but it's, I, to your point, Kim, I don't think, just like we were surprised last week talking to our niece, Lena, and like your host about being having to think about, am I go, can I go on a walk in my neighborhood? Right. Yeah. or. I can't go out without a white friend. You know what I mean? Like you just said it. Like every time I kiss my family goodbye, there is a chance I don't come back. Yeah. And that's a decision you have to consciously and intentionally make every single day. Yeah. There's there's guys, I mean, just like me, every day you have to choose to do this job because there you just see what's what's crazy is as soon as I started going on ride-alongs and then I got out on the street there's so much that you're desensitized to that you go throughout your day people don't realize how bad things are in Provo because I oh, think of Provo sure. and they're like oh it's a super safe neighborhood and I'm like yeah because your cops are doing a really good job but you don't see those things because those guys are taking care of it so you don't see the ugly you don't see the drugs you don't see um the assaults, the rapes, all these different things. You don't see those things because there's guys out there who their job is literally to make sure that you don't have to see those things. Um, but just on the flip side where, you know, they're saying that they, they can't, when they leave because of the color of their skin, they don't feel safe walking around their own neighborhoods. I've been there. And that's one of the things that I wanted to bring as a cop is that perspective of, I know what it's like to be a person of color. I know what it's like to be racially discriminated against. I know what it's like to be looked at as a criminal just because of, I'm brown. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I grew up in a predominantly white city growing up. There wasn't a lot of people of color in Spanish Fork when I when we moved there in 2008. Really? I don't think it's got it was, any. It was, like, <laughs> it was like me and Richard Wilson, and that was about it. You know what I mean? Um, and I mean, had you ever had a negative experience with the cop? Yeah, I've had my I've had my fair share, but I never. It was never the badge. It was just like, dude, that guy was a jerk. Like, never like so oh. important right there. Yeah, but the, the thing is, people can't differentiate. My thing, and and I, I'm blessed because I get it from my mom. Is my mom has always said to judge people um, based on who they are, not what they where they come from. All these things, your, your typical um, cliche, whatever you want to say. But to this day, like I, I'm so loving and open to people until they give me a reason not to be. I mean, I, I approach my police work that same way where I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I approach everything unbiasedly. Um, and I'm, I'm able to put myself in their shoes because I've been there before. I've been on the rece I've been on the end of being in a, in a traffic stop where I'm like, I hope this cop doesn't kill me or pulls me out and, and just beats my ass. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've been there. And, just, and, and it's sad that there's people who have to go through that every single day. I feel like in Utah, it doesn't happen that much because there's not a big population of people of color. 
Do you know what I mean? But I have buddies who grew up out of the state who grew up in like South central LA or, and that's, that's their reality every day. And because mm-hmm. I feel like people, because it's not happening to them, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that until it happens to somebody, they don't care about it, but because it's not happening to them because they don't see it every day in their city or they're from, then it's not real to them. It's not applicable. But then, but then I know, and I've had teammates that like, dude, I couldn't, I couldn't be, I couldn't accidentally be in the wrong neighborhood because then somebody's going to call the cops on me. Like I could be walk, I could be visiting a friend there. As soon as I'm walking, walking down the street, somebody's going to call the cops on me. You know what I mean? And, and that is, that's shameful and that's terrible that they have to go through that. And, you know, as, as a police officer of color, it's still kind of weird because I'll catch people. They, they kind of double take like, <laughs> well, I, I used to, I it used to be, and I'm sure a lot of the time it's mostly just because I'm a bigger dude. They're like, damn, that's a big dude. But you know, when you think about a police officer in America, what do you automatically think? A white, some white dude. Right. Who for sure. You know, it's some white guy who's possibly racist. I don't know what it is, but that's that's kind of the assumption that it's just you're white and you you don't know what people of color go through. Do you know what I mean? Um but that's I mean, I've had my experiences with those guys, but I've never held it against them. I've I mean held it against the uniform. It's always been like, no, I know that because I've dealt with plenty of cops that do the right thing that treat me with respect, treat me as a human being. Um, and that's good on them. And that's a good reflection of their department and the people, but I've had some terrible guys who treat me like garbage. Do you know what I mean? But it was never like, man, I hate the cops. It was, man, that guy was a jerk. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of ironic right now that, you know, you look at the black lives matter movement and, you know, I think a lot of the, the racism thing, we, we just, it's so important not to generalize, right? Yeah. Like just because I look a certain way doesn't mean I'm like the thug you see on TV, yeah. right? But it's so funny because a lot of those people that are fighting for that right now are also saying all cops are bad people, a holes, defund yeah. the police. And it's funny because for every Derek Chauvin or however you say that murderer's name, there's ten thousand incredible police officers that are choosing for not a lot of money to go out and protect you. And like you said, they filter out this whole other world that is just right around the corner from all of us. And it's like, and anybody who's ever had to call the police at night, right? Like something's going on around your house. I remember we had this like peeping Tom in my neighborhood in Hebrew when I was, you know, right after I graduated high school. And for a couple nights I sat, my, my parents had just divorced my mom. So we were living with my mom. And so I was like the man of the house. So I'd sit down in the family room with a shotgun all night long. <laughs> we saw him one night and I'll never forget the feeling that I felt when the cops pulled up. I just felt like this huge weight come off my shoulders and I just felt safe and relief. And I don't think people realize just how important law enforcement is. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a few bad apples, but there's a few bad apples in everything. Yeah. For the most part, they they are service-minded, incredible people, and yeah. I think it is so important for us to put that put that yeah. face or that human side to law enforcement officers because, trust me, defunding police, I it might be the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, yeah. could you imagine? 
Anyway, so I think it's just kind of like we're talking about with race. It's so important for us to, I remember kind of talking to Tim and Yehosh about this last week. Like they're, they're kind of going through the same thing in a sense because people have such a sour taste in their mouth about cops right now. Yeah. And, and this, it's just because of the five idiots you've seen on the internet in the last few weeks. And, five. And you know? what, what sucks is so my mom's always taught me to walk a mile in somebody's shoes. It's such, sure. all, all my empathize. mom's lessons are cl- cliche, but dude, they mean so much, especially They're cliche now. for a reason, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if you right. actually do it, it's so yeah. powerful. And so my thing is I always think, especially when I when I run into people on the street on on duty, is like I'm like, okay, put yourself in their shoes. You there's a there's a three hundred pound dude approaching you in a uniform, possibly two or three other cops showing as well, and you either did something wrong or you don't know what you did. How are you gonna feel? How nervous are you gonna feel? How you know, if you're guilty, you're gonna feel nervous. But then also if you believe all these terrible things about cops, you're also gonna be nervous. So I always try to go in de-escalate. Hey man, what's up? Like keep everything super cool. I don't walk up and be like, hey bro, what do you, you know what I mean? Like, so where you felt that that overwhelming sense of peace and like, oh man, we're good because the cops are here. Right. It's sad because there's people who a cop pulls up and they're absolutely terrified. Right. Do you know what I mean? They don't have that same feeling that you have. And it's because somewhere along the line, they either had a bad run in or a relative had a bad run in with a cop who told them, Hey, this is how all cops are going to be for the rest of your life. Or they've been watching the news for 10 hours straight. Oh yeah. Or they just on their social media and they right. just believe everything that, you know, they just believe that cops pull up somewhere and just beat up people and then just leave. Do you know right. what I mean? And so that's, that's kind of what is, is rough is everybody forms an opinion based on things they hear, read and see versus what they, you know, do in person. Like, oh, yeah, I heard this from my dad or I heard this from a family member or I saw this on the news. So this is going to be my opinion versus like, hey, I had a personal experience with somebody, you know, I had personal experience with a cop. Okay. Yeah. That's why I don't like cops. But oh, maybe I had a good experience with a cop. Nah, I love cops. Could you imagine somebody saying that about black people? Right. Or Hispanics, right? Like, man, there's this one time I got in a fight with the black dude and he was so mean and so scary. And so I just, I don't like black people. Yeah. I think they do. I've well, had, and, and, they and do. It's, it's crazy, but, <laughs> but, but it's, but what if you said that online right now? Oh, you'd be, oh, you'd crucified. be obliterated. Now, if you said that about cops, you'd probably have 80% of the people agree with you. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's the difference. Like, that's why I think it's kind of an ironic thing is yeah. like it, to generalize and say that all cops are the way that this one bad experience that I had is, or what I see on TV, it's, it's insane. Like, it's kind of a lazy way of, of thinking things. Do you know what I mean? Like I've had people tell me all the time, like, yeah, bro, I got jumped by Polynesians. So I hate all Polynesians. Well, Hey dude, I'm sorry that you got jumped by those guys, but that's, I'm not going to jump you. Like, I'm not going to beat you up. Like I'm actually here trying to help you. Do you know what I mean? Um, but to your point, like, you're going you're you're making sure that people are having positive experience right so like yeah. you are acting you are doing something to combat those feelings and those yeah. judgments you know like yeah. well, it's, it's public relations it's like and it's awesome that you think like that it's not your job like your job isn't to go out and you know the fact that you're thinking about i want people to have a good experience i want people to trust us like that just says a lot about your character like that that is pr work and it's not yeah. something that you have to that you have to do but it's it's a smart thing to and do it, and it kind of all so remember when players started kneeling in the nfl okay so before i got to the nfl pissed me off 
kind of went with the crowd, listened to what the media was saying, like, oh, yeah, these guys hate police, they hate military, they hate the, this country, blah, blah, blah. They're disrespecting the flag. So when I get when I get to the league, it bothers me so much that I'm, like, forming an opinion based on the media, the same media who's telling everybody that I suck as a football player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, man, these guys are trash. Like, whatever. So, so then I approach guys like Kenny Stills, Michael Thomas, um, all these different guys who are, who are kneeling because I want to have that conversation. I want to understand, hey, yep. instead of somebody else telling me why you guys are doing this, why don't you tell me why you're doing it? And they did tell me that. Why? Because the same reasons that are happening even right now, racial um, injustice, um, discrimination, all these different things. They wanted to shed a light that, hey, there's something going on in America that people are kind of turning a blind eye to. And that's all it was. You know, I, I honestly believed it was because they hated cops. They hated the American flag. They, it, it was more of just, hey, if, if these things really mean what they're supposed to mean, how come it doesn't apply to everybody? Do you know what I mean? And so that kind of changed my way of thinking about things. Um, I never... Which is such a cool thing. You know, like we talked about it last week about the right. importance of having conversations. Yeah. You know, not forming opinions without talking to people about it. Yeah. And that, that kind of branched from like people making assumptions about how I was as a football player. You felt it, right? Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, not to the crazy extent of like people think, you know, in, in racism, but more of just like, oh, this guy sucks because he didn't do his job. I was like, well, talk to me and I'll, tell, I'll explain exactly what happened to you on film or, you know, they did this and this happened. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you have a, a healthy discussion, Something can happen. Change can happen. So fast forward, when this cop thing came about, um, it was the perfect opportunity for me because my, my problem with people is everybody is always wanting to do something until they have to do something. Does that make sense? Like everybody wants change. Everybody wants different, whatever, but they keep doing the same things over and over. Yeah, again. they just sit back and wait for it. Yep. Well, everyone can be a critic. And, and my thing was I wanted to be a part of a solution of – Hey, I know not all cops are bad people. And I also know as a person of color that we're not all criminals and thugs. So why don't I, who's both of those things, go and try to be the best cop that I can be? I'm not going to change the entire world's view on it. But if I can run into somebody who absolutely hates cops and I'm able to change have him walk away like, hey, man, like that guy's pretty cool. That, that guy's a good guy. Like, oh, maybe not all cops are bad. And then he gets to teach his son, hey you know, respect the police, blah, blah, blah. Then he teaches his son. And then those, it's kind of like missionary work where you baptize one person and then their entire family after that is, is changed. Yeah. I, you know, kind of draw similarities there, but I wanted to be a part of the solution and do something. So what I saw in, as an opportunity for me to be the best police officer I can be, the best human that I can be, and all doing that while as a person of color, where both sides, both of these sides are fighting each other. I'm in the middle ground, like, hey, there, it's possible to be both. It's possible to be a good person. It's, it's, not, it's not either or. Mm -mm. It's people refuse to see the middle ground here. Everybody, it's like you either come here or you come here. Nobody's going to, there's no, right. there's no common um, denominator. There's nothing that they can, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you got to do it with your wife. <laughs> Communicate? Therapy? No, oh, dang it. Uh, <laughs> Compromise. There it is. Thank you. Wait, you do that with your wife? <laughs> I have to there's try no that. There's no compromise. There is no compromise because right. everybody just wants to be right. Nobody wants to do the right thing. Everyone wants to draw a line in the sand. In politics, like, and I think that's the media, right? Yep. It's so important to humanize. If you have a problem with, it's funny. The la in the last week, 
my stance on kneeling for the, you know, kneeling during the anthem has done a complete 180. I've, got, I've gotten in an argument with a couple of people close to me about it. And I'm like, can you, can you think of a more peaceful way to protest yeah. than that? But when you talk to somebody, like you said, with Kenny Stills, Michael Thomas, and you actually hear that reason, it's not just the news making Colin Kaepernick this bad guy, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, dude, this is what – I love what Tim said last week on the podcast. Like 80% of black athletes, like they show up to the stadium – they're the athlete, they're the star, but the second they get back in their car and, and drive through those gates, they're just another black man again. And so they're, they're, they've got to gotta use the platform that's given. And what a peaceful, good way to do it. I mean, and let's be honest, the national anthem and a lot of that stuff, that was all made for marketing. I hate to say that, but I mean, oh, we, we, NFL, set this, oh, yeah. well, we set this whole sacred like thing, like, well, you can't do that during the national anthem. I'm like, how many guys are like, drunk during the national anthem up yeah. in the stands yelling and cussing and so anyway i i think that what we're seeing right now i look at the kneeling thing like hey they're using their platform it's peaceful it's not hurting anybody but what's awesome and we're talking about it that's it right there how did you get to that conclusion well you, i, you I talked opened, to a real person you opened and, yourself up yes and asked a question and you were open to an answer yep. right Right, but but with a real human being, not Correct. the news, and that no. that's what we need people that like you seeking out those men to ask that question, so you could understand it better. I didn't realize how badly that was necessary until last week Correct. with Yehosh and Tim. Correct, like so many of my, it's just like you admitting Isaac that you had the news. You know, you were all fired up because of the news, and and it's true. So many of our opinions are formed by what we take in, you know, media wise. And how many of those things that we find, those websites, those articles that we find that are they're actual fact. Yeah. Based in fact. Like, like none. the media told everybody <laughs> that these guys were kneeling because they hated the military and they uh -huh. hated the country. They hated the flag. And that was supposed to be fact. Yep. Well, when it wasn't at that, all. So we would keep reading it and they could get more Did I ever tell you about money. so something I learned sad. about Kaepernick kneeling. So the first little while he was actually sitting on the bench. Right. And then he had a conversation with the Green Beret. Nate Boyer. Yep. Yeah. Who's like he's a great dude. He was like, Hey, I want to learn why you're doing this. I am I just came back from war. Like I laid my life on the line. I have friends die for that flag that you are protesting. And they had a conversation. He and then he kind of came around to why Colin Kaepernick was doing it. And he's like, Well, why don't you kneel? That's a more respectful way of right. doing it. And Kaepernick listened. Yep. You know what I mean? So like what a cool thing. Kneeling is, it's a sign of respect. You know, so right? it's like, like it, it's funny that it's such this. And here's the thing. You don't have to agree with it, no, but no. you have to be open my, to the conversation and listen. Yeah. And my thing was like, one of my favorite pictures is when we actually played the saints in London and, right. and Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, uh, Julius Thomas, a bunch of my teammates knelt and I walked over and I just stood next to them, but I put my show. Like, I, I don't know. I don't find any reason I don't know. I don't. I I didn't kneel just because I didn't want to kneel. Correct. I mean, and well, no, yeah. and no way of disrespect. For Do you sure. know what I mean? Like, uh, Drew Brees got freaking crucified over this thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't mean it in any way of just like I wouldn't kneel. And that's, that's just fine. That's, but you're still supporting. But I, your, your, I absolutely supported them. I told. It's just that, like the dude in the green break. He sent. He put his hand on Kaepernick's shoulder and stood next to him during the national anthem. Yep. Yeah, because my thing was, 
anytime our guys were kneeled, they're kneeled off to the side. And then every fan behind them would just obliterate these dudes, cuss them out, blah, blah, blah. Tell them, call them all different types of names. It was ridiculous. That's not disrespectful. And flag, is it? And, <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah. It's, it's this, worse. This stuff people are saying. And when everybody's like lined up over here and then they're, they're over here kneeling. I mean, I was just like, when we were in London and they did it, it kind of felt like they were off to the side and, and then the rest of us didn't care about them. So I just went over and I, I stood next to Kenny. I put my hand on the shoulder and I, right. I've told them every day, like, dude, I support you. I, I understand why you're doing this and you need to know that. Yeah. Like he's been he's been such a great friend and mentor and all this in, in that understanding uh, where he built a bridge for me to come over and learn. I want to do the same thing where I'm willing to talk to people about law enforcement side of things. Yeah. I'm willing to talk to people about being a person of color kind of things. You know what I mean? And um, I even called Kenny when I was making that decision and he told me, dude, just be the best cop that you can be. Like he wasn't like, what, why would you do that? You know, his was like, be an example, be the solution, be everything that you want to see different, be that person. And that's exactly what I've been doing this whole time. Um, I mean, how many people haven't been like that to you though? I mean, have you had backlash? Yeah, I've had people call me like, like I, I posted about it the other day. I had so many unread messages in my Instagram DMs, my Twitter DMs, Facebook, just people calling me racist. Everybody saying that if I was really, if I really was a, wasn't an uncle Tom that I take my badge off and I, I wouldn't stand with those guys. And I was like, you don't know the dudes that I work with. You don't know the cops that I know who would lay their life down for you while you're still calling them a racist and spitting in your face. Like, well, you don't many, know those. How many people have done that during these protests these last few weeks? Like if you dig, you can find these posts get buried, but there are posts of cops walking right into the thick of it to carry a protester out to safety. Yeah, but that doesn't fit the narrative. And that's and exactly right. Everyone finds what they're looking for. Because like, if right. you want to find bad cops, you'll find them. You will find them. There are, and because of, phones there are videos of them yep. if you want to find the good cops you'll find them you got to search a little harder unfortunately well, that, and you know isn't that which sad. is no. sad that you got to find them search harder right and well, well i like that because it's like these guys do these things every single day and it goes completely unnoticed nobody even it's not recorded it's not documented other than that cop knows and he goes home and he he knows that himself it's just like being in the online yeah. online man. how crazy see parallels totally Right, never get credit, but they go home and yeah. they know but they know why they're if, running. If back you want the bad, you'll find it. Yeah, totally. In right. Everything you yeah. want to find a bad cop, you'll find it. You want to find a bad person of color, you'll find it. You'll For find sure. anybody white, yellow, pink, green, whatever. You'll find it. Yeah. If you want to find it, but nobody wants to see cops for the good that they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get, there's always a, f a funny banter between cops and firefighters. Like firefighters <laughs> are like America's heroes, and I, I love our firefighters. I love. Um, I love the rivalry, dude. It's, the, it's such a funny oh, rivalry. It. it is so and, funny. And at the end of the day, it's all, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's a team. But everybody used to tell, uh, people used to tell me all the time, why are you being a cop for? Do you want you to be a real hero and be a firefighter? And then once I figured out the rivalry, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I don't want to sit funny. in a lazy boy all day. It's funny because watching fire, football. <laughs> firefighters won't go to the scene until the cops deem it safe. Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> so, right. We got to get, but man, Boom. firefighters like, oh, here we go. Yep. Yeah, dude. But our firefighters are, are great guys, man, especially in Provo. But like I said, man, it's people, they, the, the media thrives on negativity yep. and then it fuels the fire that's already ablaze. Do you know what I mean? And people, they don't care. They, 
they sit from their homes, their keyboard warriors, and they just find things because they'll find something that's like factual and it's against what they actually believe. And then they'll close it out because they don't right. want to know it. Correct. They're like, no, nah, that's, that's fake. totally true. Correct. You can have, you can have the, you can have the fact that, that the sky is blue right here, but you believe that the sky is not blue. And you Flatter can see, person. and you can see the blue. You can you can see the blue sky. You'll close your eyes and walk away. Yep, it's the exact same way that when people when people form an opinion and it's based on these false facts, but it makes sense to them because that's what they believe. But it's not factual. It's harder for them to see things. And my goal as an as a police officer is those people who have a hard time seeing what it's like to be a cop. Here's this bridge. Come over and talk to me. I'll meet you halfway. We'll talk about it. People who see people of color and they're automatically thinking all these negative things. Here's that bridge. Meet me halfway. I'll talk to you about it. Do you know what I mean? The best, the, the thing that I'm blessed with and fortunate enough is that I've had an experience where now I can do both those things. I'm not on one side or the other. I'm in the middle and I'm willing to meet people in the middle if they want to have civil, healthy conversations about it. But yeah. I've had those conversations where people just refuse yeah. and they just want to tell me what their opinion is and not hear mine. Which is something else. I loved what Tim said. He was like, when he has a conversation, there's an opinion that maybe he doesn't agree with. He's like, interesting. How'd you get to that point? You know, just by that simple question of like, how did you come to that conclusion? Because everyone's perception or their experience also turns into their reality. You know, so someone might've had a really bad, they might've grown up with bad experiences with the cops. Yeah. So that's why they do it. So it's like, Hey, let's talk about this. Let me tell you about all these other experiences, you know, and be yeah. open to the other idea. Yeah. And I, and my thing is I'm always fine that people disagree. What, what, what makes change and where people grow is when they're willing to find the similarity in that common ground of like, Hey, I still believe this, but Hey, you know what? I know what you're, I get what you're saying there. Okay. Whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's where people grow. That's where change happens. Change doesn't happen by doing this dance around where everybody's saying that they're right and you're wrong. And people forgotten that they, they're so hypocritical where they want you to hear what they're saying, but then they won't be willing to give you that same courtesy. Yeah. They want you. I, I say it all the time. Um, People refuse. They they want to. They don't want to be understood the way that they understand. If that makes sense. Like my my big thing is like you listen the way you want to be heard and you understand the way you want to be understood. That's the only way that you grow and you learn different things. Because if you refuse to do those, then you're just talking to talk. You're wasting air. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what Let's a add to the problem. Yeah. yeah. What a cool. I mean, that's. I don't know. It's a big and I'm responsibility. Not, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not special by any means, man. Like, yes, you are. No, you there, are. No, 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 no. Yes, you there, are. There are. Shut up, Isaac. Yes, you are. <laughs> there, there, are, there are men and women in this country who have been doing this, and it's a generation thing. Their, their dad did it. Their grandpa did it. And for me, how I see it is I'm really, really lucky to join those men and women because there are men and women who do this as a power, as a power trip. It'd be bad for me to say, I mean, it would... It'd be a lie for me to say that there's not bad in this career. Those people don't deserve to have the badge. They've tarnished it and ruined it for the ones who are doing the good, doing the right thing. Do you know what I mean? And for me, I'm not special as a cop. My thing is I get to go and add to what all these other cops have been doing. I work with some of the most incredible people in Provo. So my, my colleagues and my coworkers, they're such great police officers. They're great human beings. And then they police as such. Um, when it, and it all starts up, we have a great chief there. We have a great mayor. Mayor Kafusi is amazing. Leadership, Huge. right? Awesome. Coaches, yeah. and I mean, it all comes. It all comes down all of it down the chain. Um, but like I said, um, where people people refuse to see the things that cops see, and that's why we're getting 
They they, they just think there's no empathy. They don't no. They don't and try I, to and, put themselves in your and shoes. And as, as police officers, we don't necessarily need you to do that. Does that make sense? We're okay if you hate us, then that's fine. I'm sorry that you hate us, but I I will still do everything that you need me to do if you are having your crucible moment. You're 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 in need of service. I'll do everything that I can to help you. But they they think that as cops, we we go to work every day and we're like, "All right, let's go hem up the first person color we see." And for no other reason, just to beat them up. That's literally the logic that I hear. And people tell me this. They like show me these videos of cops going and doing bad things. But I'm like, what happened before he got there? Why is he there in the first place? I, I'm telling you right now, we don't just show up places just because they show up. Do you know what I mean? A call brought us out there or something led us to be out there. Not to just, mention how many good things happened somewhere else. No. but You they, know, I heard the head of... Uh, oh, what is it? Basically, New York City. Like the head, It's probably the union rep but he he said something really interesting we had 375 million interactions recorded interactions like reports right because that's the other thing people don't realize about cops just about everything that they do they have to like write a book report about it which well i mean you're talking stuff. suck he was talking about something that just happened like what it took me nine hours yes yeah, to do the one, that's, one thing it's because they're such under such a spotlight right now that you there's no room for error and that and that's a lot but 375 million interactions in one year with very positive reviews and that does not say anything nearly as loud as that one murderous yeah piece of crap that you know Derek so in, in Minneapolis so I, that is what's so important is that we have to remember that for every one bad police brutality event or whatever, there are so many good ones too. And it, so, like you said, but, if all we do is focus on the negative, we can't do this without police, right? Police need to be willing to listen too, right? And th- 100%. And, and that's... Uh, there's, there, there are some things that can change. Oh, there's a you lot of things. I mean? that, and you know what? They're doing the best... I feel like law enforcement is doing the best they can with what they've got right now. Like, if we want if we want to improve policing or we want to... Ch- like, we got to fund it. We got to put some money into it. We got to create the training. Like, we have to give them the tools to do their job. And it's... A, do you know how many... I just had a thing show up. Like, do you know how many police officers... Their departments can't even put a bulletproof vest on them. Yep. Right? Like, we're not protecting them the way that they It just never made sense to me, dude, that people wanted to fund us, but then they want us to have more training and to do more. They want more from us to do with less. I was like, if you take away their money, that takes away salary, that takes away training. Like, how do you pay for those things? Who's going to pay for them? Who's going to do the job if they're they're making $20,000 a year? No one's going to do the job. And I I think for me, like my kind of a pif not i don't know if it's an epiphany but it's like it's just like everything it is not an either or like i can love the police and i can respect the badge and i can admit that there's bad stuff going on with them you know what i mean like it's not like to your point there's all of these positive things but that doesn't erase the bad that's happening no but the bad doesn't erase the good but it's important to get to that point where to your point isaac about kind of this middle ground, this compromise yeah. to be able to say both are true. We just have to look for good. It's, it would be yeah. like saying that every black thug like is a black thug, right? Like, Oh, he looks like that gangbanger I saw in a movie. Like yikes. We can't do that with people. 
and we can't do that with cops, yeah. right? Like it, there has to be, we have to just really what it boils down to is just empathy, right? Like is walking a mile in their shoes, but seeking out the positive, like it, restaurant reviews. This might be a lame <laughs> analogy, right? But I could have a hundred people come in here and love the food. One person's going to come in here and not like the food. Who am I going to hear from? That one person. Same thing with me, and bro. With football, I i mean, I saw it all the time. I get compliments and told that I was doing one, like I'm uh, everything right. I'm a damn good player. That one fan who trashes you, that's all I care about. I don't care about any other good I'm doing. I'm like, oh, man, right. this guy's talking crap. Like, all right, yeah, he's right. He's probably right. But that's all you focus on. Right. And it's so easy to focus on the negative because it fuels a, a weird fire in you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I refuse to do that. Isn't it strange? Like that it is. I was thinking about that when you were saying I may not to be I may not be able to make a, a big impact on how people feel about cops with just my single interactions with people. But I thought in the back of my head, I'm like, actually it'll be a much bigger impact than you think because the unhappy ones are the ones going and making all the noise. So if you start turning some opinions around based on that interaction. I mean, had you not been the way that you are with them and it went bad, a thousand people are going to hear about it. Right. Yeah. And so I think you can have such a bigger impact than you think with just those single interactions. And and my thing is I'm not trying to, as a cop, I'm not trying to change the world, dude. It's not why I became a cop. I became a cop because I wanted to serve other people and I wanted to give people that positive interaction. Now, am I saying that I'm a soft cop? Absolutely not. When I need to be the authoritative, authoritative That's weird. figure, you look so soft, <laughs> so soft and cuddly. That's my wife loves. I me. mean, 300 pounds, the mustache, the I'm 280 tattoos, now, like, so I'm getting damn. Hey man, I'm losing that offensive line weight. <laughs> but but when I need, I know when to flip it on and off. I know when how to approach right. a situation where like everything leading up to it, I'm like, I can't be. Mr. Nice, you know, admit that nice cop. I got to be not bad cop, but I got to be the authority, authoritative bat, uh, cop. You know what I mean? Like that's how I have to treat the situation. Now, if I get there and I'm bad, I'm, I'm a uh, authoritative RoboCop, and then the situation changes, then I can be the good cop. You know what I mean? Like I've had interactions where I've had to put dudes in handcuffs and tell, them, hey, you're going to jail, and then I'm like, hey, do you want a cigarette before you go to jail? Do you know what I mean? A lot of guys before they go to jail, they want to smoke. You know what I mean? And I give them that I'll opportunity. Calm them down a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's humanity like people have lost their humanity because they've spent so much time being negative and tearing each other down that there's not going to be anything left yep so if you can just have a little bit of empathy for somebody else and understand like hey what's this guy going through what's that what's that person of color of that black guy going through walking through this rich neighborhood what's going through their head people don't think about that before they call the cops like could he be there doing something wrong yes or could he just be there because he's there? He just saw a friend. He has a family member that lives there. Right. Absolutely. But then people will go to, now nah, he's doing something wrong. Let me call the cops. Same thing with a cop. Oh, why is this cop pulling this car over? He's just trying to catch somebody up because they're a colored person. Or that dude is pulling 70 and a 25, so I pull him over. Or his registrations were. Yeah, Porsche. Or, <laughs> or his registrations <laughs> are bad or expired. And I'm just trying to tell him, hey, bro, whatever. Warning. Send him off. Right. Well, and and the empathy thing is huge too. You know, if you get pulled over and a cop's kind of a dick, I mean, he might have been at a child abuse case twenty minutes before. Yeah, you know, like and and that's a cop. It's your job to have that professionalism, have that composure. Do you know what I mean? And I, it, it'd be so easy to go to another call after a super intense one, 
where you're like, you have no idea what I just saw. But as a cop, it's your responsibility to be that professional who shows up and you have to reset when you do that. And then you kind of deal with it. Like it's, it sucks because suicides amongst cops is one of the leading causes of death is because they just take that every single day so much. And, and then finally just, they just can't do it anymore. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know. It's not like you can take a break. Like, no, you don't take, you got to finish your shift. Yeah. You can't just go home. I've talked to guys that have gone, that pulled dead babies out of a car wreck. And then they got to go deal with somebody because their neighbor was playing music too loud. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And they kind of just got to hide that. Like then you start burying those things and then they layer. I mean, and then there's, you know, so even though I'm talking about cops and they're going through these things, there are people that go through those exact same things that you don't know what that guy was going through, why he's amped up like that before. What just happened to him? What happened to him throughout the day? Do you know what I mean? De-escalation is huge. I, I was telling you guys off air that my thing is if I can just talk somebody into cuffs or talk somebody down, how easy is that? It makes my job so much easier. I don't right. have to go hands-on. I don't have to like get in a, a scuffle with them just to try to take them into custody. Do you know what I mean? I want to de-escalate the situation as far as I can. And if I can anymore, then I got to do what I got to do to save you, to save me, keep everybody safe, keep that person safe from hurting themselves or hurting somebody else. So I don't know, man. It's The empathy is huge, and they preach that all throughout academies. You have to have empathy or you can't do this job. If you can't put yourself in the situation of the criminals that you're dealing with, you can't do the job. Right. So important just to have that be open. Right. Like, once again, I can't imagine what it's like to be a cop. I just right. can't. I can never imagine what it's a like year to be ago, a cop. Same here, dude. A year, ago, <laughs> a year ago, I was like, man, what's it like to not be 360? Right. Now I'm like, oh, what's it like to not be 280? You what know? was it like to be 360? Terrible, dude. Oh, it does, I was like, sounds great. Open mouth breathing. <laughs> it was bad. Bro, I remember, <laughs> oh, man. I knew it was bad when I was on the couch and I had to get off the couch and I did this. To get, <laughs> I had to get this arm swing to get, oh, man. You had to was, get the momentum going. It was so bad, man. Oh. Uh, one so one question I have resources for for law enforcement. What what if anything do you guys have therapy wise right counseling wise yeah. is anything yeah. offered yeah and and has it changed where now it's accepted it's, it's more accepted like yeah. you're not before getting, it was like hey it'd be tough man deal with it right you know what I mean there, there, there's that stigma and they talk about it in the academy like hey there's a stigma but don't don't buy into that you know what I mean yeah. So there's that you have you guys have that availability to yeah. talk to somebody. You, you have people, you have counselors that are available. Whenever to talk to. or only if things whenever. happen. Whenever. Whenever, especially Very when things cool. happen that they reach out like, hey, you gotta talk to this therapist, talk about what happened. But now it's to a point where brothers like, you know, hey man, like you gotta check on your guys. Like I text all my buddies at work all the time, especially when they go through a hard case, but hey, dude, you're good. And then if they're not, like, hey, let's do something away from this. Do you know what I mean? That's so. very cool. See, and I think that that's I don't think a, a, a lot of departments have the money or the resources for that. And I think that that's so important for people that have to go through that. Yeah. I mean, all first responders, they see so many things. And man, it, for so long, I think it's just been go home. You, you can't talk about it to your wife because you don't want right? to ruin no, her And then you start drinking or something, popping some pills to calm down and relax. And it's just kind of a scary cycle. And I yeah. think we need to make sure that our our first responders have that stuff available. So I was just wondering what that was like now. So, well, so how long have you been, you're still in your probationary first yeah, year. I got, <laughs> probation. Yeah. And right? then I got one more week of training with a trainer right. and then, uh, 
then I'll be on my own. But it, it never stops. Like the learning never stops. Like right. there's guys, there's guys who just got off of uh, training that they'll come back me on a call just so they get the experience. Like that's the most important part is they'll come, they'll back me. And even though they're my back, they get to kind of work the case, work the call with you. Like, okay, we have this, this, and this. So what do we have? Do you know what I mean? And so the learning is always evolutionary. Every year you're required to do additional training. You have in-house training, in-house service training. So it's all, you're always learning. You're always doing things to be better. Right. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know, man. It just seems like people think that as soon as you get a gun in the badge, your training's done and you just, it's the okay. wild west. You do whatever you want. It's not like right. that. I so, mean, I can't speak, like I said, I can't speak for what goes on outside of Utah. I know Utah's standards and everything that you have to do and meet in order to be there. And they're really high standards. And then on top of that, you have policies of your own individual departments. So yeah, cause I don't know what's going on in other states, what their standards are, if they need to be higher, those, I don't know. Right. So did the department buy a Suburban since you're going to be in your own car next week? <laughs> we have we have SUVs. So hopefully, I can, I'll take whatever I can get, man. I've been riding to work on my motorcycle and then changing oh at the gosh. station. What are you in right? So so just so people know, you've been with the training officer. Yeah, we're in an SUV. You're in an SUV. Yeah. So so you'll be in your own vehicle starting next a week. week from now. Yep. So, I mean, man, that'll be... It'll be fun. It'll be... Right? Keep learning. Keep doing everything I can to be the best cop I can be, man. I, I don't know. It's, so cool. What a great ambassador to have. Because like you said, you can understand, you know, being a person of color, right? And, you know, there's there's always some, if you ever see a, a big cop, usually going to have a pretty good interaction because they don't, they they just kind of command respect. They don't have to like. There's an officer presence thing. Yes. I never thought, like everybody's like, oh, dude, don't lose. They don't, don't have get to compensate. Smaller, like, don't get any smaller than you are, you know, just. <laughs> I'm like, I, my thing is there's, there's an officer, there is such thing as officer presence. And I feel like the bigger dudes, when they get there, a lot of things just calm down. Yeah. Like, that's what I, I, I don't know. You either have it or you don't. Some say that I do have it. I don't know if I have it or not, but a lot of uh, scenes that I've shown up on. Oh, you have it. It usually just chills out. And my yeah. thing is like, you, you, you got to kind of talk to people the way that makes them comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I was, I was exposed to so many different cultures and backgrounds and economic backgrounds that I, I, you know, I can, I can speak the lingo. I can go to the rich relate, neighborhood you and can talk relate to, to anybody, you know, I can talk to them proper. However you want me to do, how you doing, ma'am? Yes, sir. No. So I can go, Hey, what's up? What's going on? You know what I mean? Right. Like I can do those things because I've had those experiences where some officers, it's not their fault. They grew up in, right. you know, a predominantly white neighborhood and white city. And they just, they're not exposed to that. The problem is, is when they don't want to be exposed to it and for not racial reasons, just because it's, it's foreign to them, but they got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's the only way that you learn is you're willing to be open to those things. Right. Man. That's why I think what you're doing is so great because who knows how many people that you come across as an officer, all, but also fellow officers, you're going to help maybe give them perspective, you know, because of what you've gone through and how you approach a situation, you're going to show up and wow, that guy, he's here when he show up. What did he do? You know, and you're going to be able to help kind of maybe teach other people how to de-escalate stuff, which would be awesome. I think it's the number one attribute a, a good cop could have. Yeah. is yeah. I mean, I'd say a bouncer, the same thing, right? Yeah. Any bouncer, it's like, if you act aggressive, it's just going to cause more chaos. Like yep. somebody that can come in and just kind of calm everybody down, that's 
man, what, I mean, I would say that's such a strong tool to have, but man, it's so cool. What a, what a story. I mean, football, NFL, college, NFL, and now this, a cop. Provo PD. This is so the best. Cool. This is the best thing I've ever done. Like the NFL is awesome. Everybody, obviously, whenever they talk to me, they're like, dude, what's it, what was the league like? I'm like, it was great. But like what I do as a cop, and I'm not just saying this, like I've never loved doing something more than, I mean, outside being a husband and a father, I've never loved doing something more than this. It's just because every day is different, but every day, I mean, they tell you too, when you get in a funk, like our captains tell us, if you get in a funk where you're just like, man, I hate this job, like go serve somebody. You know what I mean? And I, I try to seek those opportunities out every day because that's what reminds me of what, why I did this job and why I got into it is when, you know, it might not be a big deal for you as the cop. It might seem minuscule. You probably had like 30 other calls that are just like it, but to that person, that means everything that you were yeah. there for them, that you helped them, that they, when, you know, sometimes nobody else cares about them, that they feel, and you generally do care about them. Like that's, to me, that's a freaking awesome thing that I get to wake up to do every single day. And there'll be days where I'm like, man, I hate, I hate this. You know what I mean? But when those good things outweigh the bad, it's, it's so easy to come to this job. Very cool. Well, we sure appreciate your service, man. Thanks. Thank you. Very, very cool. It's still weird for me to hear when people say that. I'm like, I wasn't in the military. <laughs> Whatever. Listen. Like, Thanks for your service. I'm like. It is service. I mean, it's <laughs> you're doing something that a, a very, very, the heavy majority of people could never do. And you're not, you know, in the NFL, you're getting paid a lot of money. But to be a cop, like, like you said, you got to want to do it and love it. Because well, it's not until you retire. The money's not, you know, yeah, that's where it can start catching up and pay off. But until then, and you know, until you're it's on a, a desk. It is, it's a thankless a job. Just like offensive lineman. Yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> but at least with offensive linemen, you're getting a big check, right? Yeah. But, True. I mean, these guys, it's so many of them have to do kind of side hustles. And yeah. uh, one thing that I've always loved about cops is, and firemen are the same. It's like, if I, I want to put it, my wife wants to put a deck on the house. It's a bunch of off-duty cops to come and help, yep. right? Like they really do. I kind of love that side of of law enforcement. They are a team, and it's like, hey, I may not have the money to put a big deck on the back, but I got a bunch of dudes that are good with tools, and they'll come over and help me out. And that's how they can kind of make up for it. And it's such a special community, and so it's. I, I think you're going to have such an impact. And these are the you know the other thing is I want. I want kids to see cops like Isaac and say, man, I want to be a cop too. Yeah. Cause we want more people like, you know, like, like you. Yeah. So I'm sure you love all this flattering stuff. You're sitting <laughs> yeah, there I'm, about I'm very... as comfortable as uh, <laughs> yeah. but, I'm, I'm flattered, man. But you know, I, you're a humble dude and that's cool. Yeah. I mean, very I, cool. Yeah. So it's all right, man. Well, thank you so much. We got to get, yeah, we got to get him back in after the first year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're just gonna like, see me. I'm gonna have like a scruff. I'm about to yeah. screw it up. Like, I hate this job. No, I'm just kidding. You don't know the things I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some things, man. Oh, Aliens. So cool. Well, right. thank you. Thank yeah. You. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.